0: podcast number 65 of the texas Hemp show this is russell with the texas Hemp reporter magazine and host of the texas hip show thanks for tuning in this week podcast 65 joining me in studio is coleman hemp hill of the texas hip industries association this week welcome back coleman
1: so great to be back really enjoying the the christmas season and i feel like all of the politics in texas getting getting fired up as we have a lot of new announcements of people running for different offices and excited to talk about it today.
0: Sounds good and we also have Jesse Williams from the Texas Cannabis Collective joining us here as well in the studio. Hi Jesse, how are you doing my friend?
1: Hola amigos.
0: All right. well joining us on the program this week is uh, Dr. Russell Jessup from the Texas A&M Department of Soil and Crop Sciences. We're going to talk to uh, Dr. Jessup about the industrial hemp breeding over there that they do and, and kind of get an idea of what the program's like. And we ran into him, Coleman, up at the Texas Hemp Convention in in Dallas a few weeks back there in late November. And so wanted to get reach out to him. And, and then ironically, a few weeks ago, when Dan Harer was on the program, he mentioned that there was a strain they were going to be using of hemp from the Jack Harer strain that was going to be uh, tested with and tried out with Dr. Russell Jessup, but welcome to the program, uh, Dr. Jessup, how are you, my friend?
2: I'm doing fine, Russell. Hey, first things first, uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, sure, sure, education is the hope. I, I profess to very little. Uh, you guys are <laughs> welcome to just call me Russ. I don't have a title. I can't save your life. I can't do surgery on you, so so Russ is great for this this <laughs> okay. uh, gathering, gathering of minds.
1: Well, Russ, I, I was really excited to to have you on today because it, it does look you know, like we've made a lot of progress this last year versus 2020 that where a lot of the seeds and, and different varieties were more unknown and um, a lot of people got in late. So really, would you say that 2021 was really kind of the first year to really see what Texas is, is, is capable of? in in production and in the expansion from six cultivars that a m was studying 2020 to the 16 that y'all did this last year
2: absolutely in all all counts 2020 was uh, a rush to get off the the starting gate when they green lighted it in march we got material got things in the field very late and boy we had a steep learning curve it was vertical and nothing else uh but it was great for us to actually get our hands on the plant start the, the efforts on the agronomics Uh, And this year, we did a much better job of getting things in the ground, collecting data, finishing the crop, and just continuing our own education, right? We have a lot of uh, highly educated people on the team in the department, but we have zero years of working with hemp until last year. So we're all still new. Uh, I consider myself a a second-year intern on hemp breeding at this point.
1: That's great. Would you say that most of the focus of your research has been focused— in the cannabinoid industry, which has been kind of the mainstay of the hemp industry thus far, and, and have you all been making progress on different grain and fiber varieties as well?
2: Yes. Most of our research has been funded on the cannabinoid side, and the biggest things they're asking us to work on are things that are adapted to Texas, and we found out very quickly last year that of the 400 plus varieties coming out of Canada, Colorado, Oregon, wherever else uh, almost none of them do well in Texas, whether it's photoperiodic or autoflower. They all induce flowering early. They don't seem to take the heat and the drought. So we started working on those two traits specifically, heat tolerance, drought tolerance, and correct flowering uh, immediately. And we have learned since then that the uniformity is a huge issue in these when you go from seed, uh, you end up with variation that's just not desirable. So we're focusing on methods of breeding. And some of those are in the slides we have to, to walk through, trying to make hemp into a true uniform hybrid crop, just like corn, uh, soybean, cotton, all the other major crops are as fast as we can. And yeah, I would say that uh, our job has been to catch up with other states. We're five, six years behind them. So we're doing everything we can to, to keep that gas pedal through the floor on the program.
1: That's great. Could you kind of expand on, on uniformity and kind of talk a little bit about... Different phenotypes and the chemotypes that you're really trying to encourage through your breeding programs.
2: Sure, yeah. Most hemp breeders and cannabis breeders don't really want to divulge their their exact uh, methods of of working the material. But in general, what I've what I've learned is that it's a population breeding method. It can be mass selection, it can be recurrent selection. But they're working with five, ten, twenty individuals. They're in, they're increasing those and they're letting them mate. Uh, either open or they're doing controlled crosses with the feminized seed. Uh, But none of it is uh, truly uniform. There's no true inbred lines that are 100% uniform. So whenever you cross plants that are partially inbred or totally outbred, you end up with a lot of variation in the field. Uh, They can stabilize some traits that are major traits. Uh, In general, those are height and flowering time. But when you look at the plants more closely, there's a lot of variation that really can't be dealt with. breeding for populations, and I've done this with forage grasses uh, for 15 years now, so trying to get to inbred lines and trying to get the true F1 hybrids between two parents, not populations, is the real goal. Uh, And as far as cannabinoid research, yeah, we've we've transitioned into working not just uh, CBD, not just CBG, but trying to look at the minors. Uh, We have interest in uh, CBC, CBL. We're trying to work on some of the others that may or may not be fully cleared in Texas yet, but they might be in the future. And those are THCV, all the other miners that you can see in the Texas hemp extractor lines, be they THCO, HHC, all of those. And we've got increasing capacity to do some of this HPLC work and the chemotyping work in house in our lab. So we're not beholden to very expensive external labs anymore. Uh, And we're also trying to work on using much faster and much less expensive methods to quantify the cannabinoids in the plants.
1: That's excellent. So I actually work with ionization labs and and was given the opportunity to come and teach Dr. Bolton's Berger class a, as a partner with Texas A&M, helping with a lot of that high performance liquid chromatography, potency testing. And so really excited to, to hear that, that y'all are utilizing that and it's helping to, to further y'all's research. Um, Again, kind of going back to the phenotyping, what are some of the characteristics that you're really trying to stimulate or identify with these different varieties? Um, the, the amount of nodes that are produced, the overall weight and yield, and uniformity in color, you know, kind of what are the different factors that you look at as a seed breeder?
2: Sure, I guess the consensus of my groups, undergraduates, graduates, and even peers are that the, the, when you deal, you got to put them in two pools. You have the autoflowers the terminate types, and then you have the photoperiodic or the short-day types. Uh, and it's much more simple for what you're looking at with the autoflowers, right? They're typically one stalk, one one raceme. Uh, the the short-day or the photoperiodic types, you can get much more particular with internode spacing, bud number, bud density. Uh, and we're a little torn because a lot of the information comes from the, the type one world the cannabis world in Nevada and other other states And they're almost all indoor grows. They're highly manicured how they control the environment is steered the nutrients are steered So they can go for a greater density of those buds and those colas uh, For the indoor grows and what we found is outdoor those just don't do well So the really heavy nugs that, that tend to fall over indoor uh, they end up being plants that lodge and fall over in the field when you're dealing with outdoor uh, CBD hemp for extraction. So we've tried to work on ones that have uh, beefier stalks, beefier secondary branches, and intermediate uh, internode spacing on those secondary branches. And I've I've tried to ask as many questions with as many breeders as I can as far as architecture on those plants, but I would say a lot of that is still uh, in development to be determined. We don't know what the best Architecture of that that canopy is on the full season hemp.
1: That's great. Some of the considerations you're talking about different agronomic models, and I know there's there's different practices that are being rolled out by different farmers in different parts of the of the state. Um, I, I know that on the high plains there in, in Lubbock, you've seen a lot more direct seeding, um, drilling the the seeds in. Very, a lot like you would see with other conventional crops and less of the, the horticultural model. Have you all been employing both of those, those models, and, and what have you all been finding?
2: Uh, we have an agronomist in Lubbock, Calvin Trossel. I don't know if he's been on this podcast before, but he's he been is. doing most of, most of the heavy lifting on the fiber side. He's heavily involved in looking at the Australian and the Chinese materials uh, at several locations. And since a lot of the CBD work is feminized seed, We've tried to keep our work at different locations. A&M has a dozen uh, research centers. We've tried to keep his fiber trials at locations in CBD and and other cannabinoid trials at at different locations. Uh, But if it's a fiber type and they're trialing it, it's Calvin's wheelhouse. If it's a CBD type, it's more my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, The overlap would be uh, Dr. De Silva in Weslico or South Texas. He's looking at fiber types as well from the breeding side, not the agronomy side. Uh, And for me, it's more trying to develop novel and innovative breeding methods. So it's not just trying to develop the germplasm, but looking at tools we can use to make them faster, improvement, uh, and and higher quality material.
3: This is Jesse Williams of the Texas Cannabis Collective. I wanted to ask, speaking about different areas of Texas and these inbred lines, if y'all plan on making, I guess, what we could say, different seasonal varieties of these lines? Because we know that from one year to the next, like the summer could be way hotter or the summer could be colder, the winter could be warmer as I guess the weather patterns are called like El Nino, things such as that. So given that we have these vast areas of Texas where the climate can be way different and we have these different climate changes over years, is there going to be different lines to accommodate for that? Are y'all looking into those types of things?
2: It, you know, we, it's hard to look at the farmer's almanac and predict which one might fit with the coming year. So yeah. so my strategy, my strategy has been to develop, uh, an MMA type hemp. the outdoor grows i don't i don't want these tender types you have to take care of and and be very uh, high input high nutrients high steering indoor stuff trying to grow that outside we're trying to make selections for things that are tough they're resilient and they can handle the biotic and abiotic stresses outdoors so they can survive Uh, the only real thing we're trying to separate is if you go north to south you have different uh, day lengths. so you've got to deal with the flowering time triggers on the materials but All of our work is dealing with things that do better with nitrogen, do better with water uptake, ones that can take light and heat intensity, and ones that can take drought. Uh, In particular, we've seen in Texas certain fungal pathogens in the soil that are in cotton are also hitting hemp, so dealing with some of the the pathogens that we've identified.
1: That's excellent. I was really excited to hear some of your interest and work around CBDV, THCV, and you know just want to take the opportunity with this show to continue to educate people that although THCV the THC is in that name that again this is another cannabinoid that can be produced in high concentrations naturally so above 10% THCV that doesn't have an intoxicating effect i think falls very in line with what we've seen in in seed breeding that's produced our CBG varieties and could produce our CBC varieties um Can you kind of talk about what y'all are seeing and and how you go about identifying some of these minor cannabinoids, selecting those plants, and then moving them through to uh, an an F1 variety?
2: Sure. Just keeping in mind that we're only our second year in, so our material is still mid-selection and uh, we'll have things out in a year or two, but yeah, the extractors I go and visit they're they are able to stay in the black because they're not focusing just on CBD. They're focusing on six or eight of the other minors, uh, the other modified, uh, and the other terpenes. If they have different extraction methods, you can actually catch the terpenes as well and, and capture that value. Uh, the one that's new to me besides those are the uh, oxidation- the, the degradation products of some of these. So not just going from THC to CBN, which is high value and being utilized now, but they've shown some of the other oxidative products from CBD can actually be used to fight cancers. So we're going after those in particular, trying to find other uh, natural breakdown products that you can do uh, decarb or do it with ozone or something that that can be used for different purposes and give them high value. But I truly believe if if cannabis for the the, the cannabinoids is going to stay profitable they're going to have a basket of different uh, molecules they're pulling out isolating and selling individually
1: that's great so y'all you know some of the things that you're looking at is the the feminization rate uh and the germination rate can you kind of talk to how successful a lot of the seed varieties have been that have come into the state thus far um in maintaining compliance feminization and germination because i know it's it's been fairly lackluster from some of the the reports i've gotten um some better than others but still a lot a lot of progress that needs to be made
2: yeah i would say uh, feminization we've only had one uh, really unstable line this year all my migrometers were, were wanting me just to pull it out of the trial after after july because it was just throwing herms and throwing complete male plants most of them have been fairly stable for that uh germination has not been consistent our variation It can range from 5% up to 95%. Uh, So, yeah, germination is a huge issue, Uh, particularly if you're doing direct seeding. You don't know that until it's almost too late. Uh, Going seed to seedling for the CBD types that you put in transplants, it's easier to catch that and and, uh, adjust as you go.
1: That's great. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your accelerated inbreeding method, and and you know, kind of what your long term goals are, and, and what you anticipate from from the research you're conducting now?
2: Sure. The goal is to make truly uniform parents, so we can make truly uniform F1 hybrids, and put plant variety patents on these with USDA, and give whatever breeder develops it uh, act, absolute control of their intellectual property. Uh, And I guess some of the slides I have in there, I don't know if we show them or not, but we've been able to modify the the silver applications that they use to turn females uh, into herms and have pollen for pollinators. We've modified that to where we can take a female plant and make it into a 50-50 herm. And the, the more fun part is we've taken male plants that no one's really done before and we've tested a lot of different hormones and chemicals and we found one that turns a male plant into about a 30% male and 70% female. And that allows us to use that for for self hybridization as well. So our goal in the near future is to take our F1C that we're collecting right now of of our second cycle of of crosses. And we're gonna start taking individual plant selections. We're gonna take males, we're gonna take females. We're gonna put them into these chambers we've built that, that prevent pollen from escaping. And we're gonna apply the chemicals that make them into herms, hermaphrodites, and we're gonna let them self-hybridize. And for each generation we do that, it's gonna double the uniformity in that plant genetically. Uh, And if we do that five times, we should be at near 100% uniformity. So the goal is to use these pollen chambers we have, put individual plants in there, apply the correct chemicals, and let them self-hybridize, make selections every generation, and do that five times. And once we have those inbred lines, males and females, cross those in as many combinations as we want or others who want to license them want and evaluate the F1 hybrids. And at that point, you can put patents on both parents. They're 100% genetically uniform, and you can put patents on the hybrid plant variety patents. And that's not been done yet in hemp. So that's really our goal is to enable uh, catching up with hemp with the other major crops.
0: Stay right there, Russ. We're going to take a quick commercial break. This is the Texas Hemp Show. It's Podcast 65. Our guest, Russell Jessup, here on the Texas Hemp Show, uh, talking with us about the Industrial Hip Breeding Program there at Texas A&M University. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more on the other side of this Is Texas Hip Show. We'll be right back.
1: Please don't mind. I'm just high.
4: CRI is a top 25 nationally ranked CPA firm with offices across the Southeast and with clients across the globe. Over the last few years, our firm has developed a niche in the agriculture and cannabis industry. We understand the unique challenges growers and processors face every day. Our seasoned team of professionals can help you meet these challenges with sound business, tax, financial, accounting, and technology advice. Visit CRICPA.com to find out more or schedule your free introductory consultation. That's CRICPA.com.
0: Medical marijuana is legal in Texas. Do you suffer from cancer, PTSD, IBS, peripheral neuropathy, autism, epilepsy, seizure disorders, osteoarthritis, or fibromyalgia, well, medical marijuana is now legal in Texas as of September of 2021. Visit texasmedicalmarijuanadoctors.com. Call 713 659 himp That's 713 659 himp And tell them you heard from the Texas Hemp Show. Visit our friends online at texasmedicalmarijuanadoctors.com.
5: The Texas Hemp Reporter is available free at all HEBs and Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. Pick up a copy today. Cannabis is slowly becoming legal in Texas, so be sure to listen to The Texas Hemp Show Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. on KLBJ 590 a.m. or visit online at TexasHempReporter.com. Mail to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. 60,000 copies made available each year. Available at over 500 CBD and smoke shops in Texas. That's the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and the Texas Hemp Show Podcast. Download wherever podcasts are available or listen Sundays at 6 a.m. on News Radio 590 KLBJ. Hey, this is Chich Marine, and you're listening to The Texas Hemp Show.
4: Why take a chance with your hemp grow? Join Hemp Plan and avoid the risk. TPS Lab's exclusive hemp monitoring program. Hemp Plan members get one on one consulting from knowledgeable consultants who are available when you need them most. If you want to take the guesswork out of growing hemp and focus on what matters most, call TPS Lab today and ask for your free consultation. Take the next step to a successful harvest. Visit tpslab.com or call today at 956 383 0739.
6: Do you qualify for medical marijuana? Texas allows medical grade products with THC. If you have a diagnosis of PTSD, neuropathy of any kind including diabetic, any cancer or seizure disorder, Dr. A at Good Earth MMJ Clinic will help. You believe in cannabis's medical benefits as do we. VA veterans with PTSD do not fear as your benefits are protected with a Dr. A's prescription in Texas. Please visit goodearth210.com for all details and book an appointment. Next day appointments available. We're here to get you well, not high. That's Good Earth. 210com
0: you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show, sponsored by The Loot. The Loot helping vape and smoke shops deliver the most innovative products to customers, constantly creating new products that people love. E-liquid, salts, CBD topicals, tincture flower, edibles, and Delta 8. Your customers will be shouting, Give me The Loot! The Loot creating high-margin products for vape and smoke shops. Contact us today at thelootjuice.com for all your vape, CBD, and Delta 8 needs. Mention Texas Hemp Reporter for 10% off. Give me The loot!
5: You're listening to The Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at The Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine.
0: Hey this is Tommy Chong and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show.
5: Now, back to the show with your host, Russell sweet.
0: Welcome back to the Texas Hip Show. Make you want to move. Podcast number 65.
2: You're dancing
0: As we talk with Dr. Russell Jessup at the Texas A&M Department of Soil and Crop Sciences joining us on the program is Coleman hiphill from the Texas Hemp Industries Association, as well as Jesse Williams from the Texas Cannabis Collective. Uh, but welcome back to uh, the program, Russ. Uh, it's good to have you on. And... Introduce. Can you introduce some of your staff? I know you're not just to give, just so that we ask who else is behind your your department over there. I know you've got some undergrads that probably help and some of your staff. What I know that uh, one of uh, the brochure I had had talked about Christopher and Ezekiel and Joshua have different roles there. Uh, just wanted to give you the opportunity to credit your staff.
2: No, no. If you didn't do that, I was going to ask permission Otherwise, <laughs> they're going to they're going to they're going to slap me when I get back. So yeah, shout out. <laughs> PhD student, Heather Baldy, uh, graduate students, Ezekiel uh, Soto, he's doing all the fun inbred line and hermaphrodites, Joshua Van Dyke, he's doing all of our sequencing, he's doing the really cool nanopore sequencing for the complete genome so we can blow up phylos and blow up the open cannabis project. Uh, Chris Garcia is making our tetraploids with a double chromosomes, so we can make the triploid hemp that doesn't have to worry about pollen getting on it, it'll never produce seed, uh, and we've got it. One of the most enthusiastic, outgoing, overachieving undergraduates possible, Clayton Moore. He's the one that got us into the Texas Hemp Commission in the first place. You might have met him there. Uh, The the kid is going to be a a force in the cannabis industry, and I would say within two or three years, but maybe earlier than that. Uh, Those are the big ones. New, New ones to the team are Ian. He's helping us with some of our NIR work. And Jordan, she is just starting. So those are the big ones in our house, in our group.
1: That's great, and I see you know, some other collaboration. Could you tell us a little bit more about Rare Earth Genomics and the Jack Harrer Foundation? Just a, a little bit of their background, kind of what brought them to this space and, and what that collaboration looks like and how others could participate as well.
2: Sure. 2020, when Texas greenlighted lighted hemp, we had discussions with probably 20 different organizations. They were promising millions. They were going to throw money at fiber, CBD, grain. And in reality, for my program, breeding and ag- agronomics and other goals. One company actually brought a checkbook to the table and that was Rare Earth Genomics. Uh, it's a privately held corporation. They're, they're based here in Texas. They have nonprofits in Austin working on the medical side and working on the, the veterans groups. So they have a lot of uh, outreach efforts. They funded us to do a lot of the, the, the work, the research trials, the genetics, and other things that I don't really have in that report. But they've been our, our big sponsor, our big supporter, and they are completely dedicated to hemp and cannabis. They're dedicated to open source genetics, open source technologies to go along with it. Uh, so they're the big one. And I'll, I'll cover up my bald head and put on.
0: <laughs> the Jack Hair <Harrah> hat. <laughs> when, I, when,
2: I, when I'm not wearing my A&M hat, I'm wearing my, my hat. Dan has come to A&M twice. Uh, and I think one of the last slides on that PowerPoint shows him, he gave a guest lecture for our class this fall,
0: mm-hmm.
2: beautiful background study, the history of cannabis. He had things to engage with students. He had props and he gave them all a free copy of his, his book, his father's book. So I would say Dan Hare has been a great force, uh, on the education side, but he's also allowed us to make contacts with seed companies. He's provided us, uh, contacts to get seed for next year's trials and, uh, Russell mentioned that we are most likely going to have their version of hemp, so we're going to have a Jack Harrer hemp in the trials next year as well.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That was uh, Russ. That's what one of the things when Dan was on a couple of weeks ago, he kind of he it was kind of serendipitous, man, because we had him on and and then he he started telling me about your program, and I was like. Wait a minute, you mean Dr. Russ Jessup? Uh, I just met him in Dallas a few weeks before, so it was rather serendipity there that um, I had just met you up there at the convention and then he being on the show two weeks ago talking about that collaboration. So uh, that's cool, cool to see that uh, uh, coming in here from from, um, from the West Coast there.
2: Yeah. yeah, and he's really plugged into our industry sponsor too. So Dan has uh, been a great great addition to our group
1: yeah and for all of us that you know maybe don't know who dan Hare is and his father jack Hare, so that the emperor wears no clothes the the book that, that he gave out there in that class that was actually the first book that i read in 2014 prior to starting the texas hemp industries association 2015 and you know i, I really can't thank dan uh jack Hare, his father before him for all the education that they've done i think it's really exciting and it's it's one of those really interesting moments when you see that hair or last name on a Texas A&M document that uh, makes you feel like we're, we're moving somewhere.
2: Yeah, 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 we've tried our best or I've tried my best to try to understand the culture and merge with it. I know ivory tower types tend to get a bad, bad uh, reflection or bad appearance, but, but our goal is to work with the, the cannabis culture uh, across all, all markets they can, they can be used.
1: That's great. Could you kind of tell us a little bit more about some of the, the advocacy groups that Rare Earth Genomics and Jack here are, are working with? Um, you know, I know you mentioned the medical program and, and one of those, you know, really kind of primary license holders in the state with Compassionate Cultivation. Um, you know, how, how are these different groups working together and are there any groups that you can kind of point people to to, to get more involved?
2: You're gonna get my hand slapped tomorrow because I can't think of the names. They they have a five oh they have a five hundred three, and they have a five hundred four. They do both, uh, but yeah, not. I can't think of the names of them. They're they're heavily involved in Austin. They have lobbyists. They have lawyers. They try to get uh, amendments into the bill. I know it was shot down this last fall. They were deeply involved with trying to get things in there. Uh, and some of the stuff they kind of snuck through there on increasing uh, licenses on the medical side that might be coming out next year. They pushed hard on that as well. Uh, and then some of the potential loopholes within that, they, they pushed hard on those as well. So they're, they're always out there on the advocacy side in Austin or elsewhere, and they're doing, uh, they're doing uh, fundraising as well for the veterans.
0: That's great, Russ. Can you can, uh, let me jump in, Russ? Can you can you speak on some of the the genome sequencing stuff that you mentioned, to Joshua? You kind of got excited a little bit. I thought there when you <laughs> talked about when you talk about Joshua. Can you talk about that partnership with the Oxford Nanopore and and some of that work that he's doing? Because I could tell you were that seemed like the exciting part, some of the exciting stuff that that Josh does with the the, the sequencing side.
2: Part of it is it blows my mind. I'm, I'm old, you guys. I may be the oldest one in this room, but when I was starting <laughs> sequencing as an undergraduate before I turned gray and lost my hair, you had to look at colors of bands on these these really big gels and do them one at a time. We've gone through four generations of that. We can go a lot faster. When they sequence a whole human genome, they were using these little beads, and they were binding DNA to the beads. And they can do that with computers, but it's still indirect. Now, you can direct sequence anything. They've taken they've taken a little hole or a pore in E. coli, that little bacteria in all of our guts, and they put it onto an electrical plate with microfluidics, and you can tag the DNA strands and run it through there as a single string, like a, like a thread, and they use the electrical distance, the change in electricity when it goes through that pore, to tell you whether it's an A, a D, a G, or a C. Uh, so it's beautiful technology, and the darn thing is smaller than your cell phone, right? <laughs> It costs 5,000, it's smaller than your cell phone. It's got little cartridges you have to put in there, the flow cells. Uh, You just plug it into your laptop and you let it run. So it's a really cool technology. And our goal is to use it uh, to get sequence information for plant patents, plant variety patents, but also to look on some of these traits, right? Cannabis has been illicit in the U.S. for 70 years. No one's done any research on it. So we're going to try to use some of these modern DNA and genomics tools to really speed up, take some shortcuts, and get some... uh, improvement on the crop that just hasn't been possible for decades.
1: Yeah. Russ, is this um, the same or similar to, to CRISPR technology and the, the gene sequencing editing?
2: So CRISPR lets you make changes, right? So you're either adding or taking away to the DNA. The sequencing, you're just reading what is there. So you're just opening the book and the sequencer is reading what's in there. You're not you're not changing anything. Uh, we have a nice gene editing lab in our department and i will say everywhere i go whether it's nevada, oregon, texas there are companies working on gene editing in cannabis so i think starting next year you're going to see more patents coming out they'll be from the big guys first but then others as well for gene editing in cannabis
1: interesting do you feel like some of your work on the cannabinoid side with some of these you know initiating different hermaphroditic um Attributes to these plants will have an impact on creating monoecious varieties that are more suitable and consistent, uniform for, say, grain production. You know, so you're not gumming up different implements and you're running a consistent varietal throughout the field.
2: I think I have the best student on that possible. He, he has a huge interest in doing that, even though we're not funded on that. He's he's pulling out ones that we reject for our current effort that might be stable hermaphrodites that have grain potential, and he's working on that exact scenario, trying to work on ones that are uh, highly stable herms, have decent grain size, grain production, and less less or no resin in them. So I think it's a, a cool avenue. The ones I've tried to grow out from Europe on the fiber side that are monicious. Man, they're not stable. I understand why the cannabis people don't like them in general because <laughs> they'll shift on you. They'll go male. They'll go female. They'll go dioecious. They just don't stay uh, what you want them to be. These least the ones I've tried.
3: That reminds me something that Coleman and I were talking about during the break is are y'all working towards having a male strain where it's like it's not gonna become feminine. It's strictly male. They don't have to worry about flowering. Is anything like that in the works?
2: Well, our goal is to make the inbred lines with the male and female, right? We always worry about some of the genetics being lost since we are only working with female plants for the feminized seed. So we wanna capture 100% of the diversity, put those into inbred lines and then make those crosses. So you get the most uh, hybrid vigor or heterosis possible. And we like to think about different possible endpoints. We haven't thought about a male only cultivar. That's interesting. So I'll let Zeke and the team know that.
3: Well, I did an interview about a year ago. When we were talking to a group through in genetics, and they were like, well, we don't really – we wanted to, but it didn't seem like it was advisable at the time. But there were applications beyond just we want to harvest this, but like using it on like a riverbed to keep the soil together. And now we're talking – was it carbon capture credits? So I could see where farmers would go, I don't want the headache of having to go and test this. And I can use it for things other than harvesting to get the materials out of it. So a male strain would be perfect for that.
2: Sure, sure. And I guess part of our goal is to make what I put in the, the slides is a type 5 hemp. This is just nerding out on the, the chemotype. But if you think of Kent, type 1 being a marijuana, high THC, type 2 is a mixture of that, and CBD, mm-hmm. type 3. Type 3 is CBD, type 4 is CBG. Type 5 uh, is what I can go buy as specs on the 420 beers. It's just terpenes. There's no cannabinoids whatsoever. So if you think about that pathway, there's a point right before CBG. If you knock that out, there's no terpene. There's no cannabinoids produced at all. So you can make a terpene-only uh, hemp, and that's one of our goals as well. We're trying to do it with methods that don't involve CRISPR at the moment. But uh, yeah, if we can make a terpene-only hemp, that would give them the same solution to that.
3: I bet that would smell amazing.
0: Russ, does your does your yeah. <laughs> it would smell good? Russ, what what do you seek for um you know funding for this program do you get private funding is there companies that come in that, that you try to partner with or is there a you know how do folks get in touch with you for you know to support this I, i'm just curious how, i don't know how you, if your funding is coming from private companies that are interested in in, in getting involved uh, how do you do you seek outside sources for revenue
2: Absolutely. Faculty are eloquent beggars. Don't let us fool you. <laughs> uh, we all, we always have our hands out. We're always coming after you. And to this point, there have been very few, I would say, you know, less than five federal grants that even let you write a proposal for hemp. None of them are specific for hemp alone. There's an interesting one that's coming out next spring we're going to apply for. There was one last year. We were one of 40 applications. Only one was approved and the darn thing went to Cornell, so we didn't get it. Uh, most of our funding is private. So we have industry sponsors that let us do the research. We have others that pay us to do field trials and let them look at their uh, populations or material in our environment so we can we can do field trials anytime. Uh, but yeah, majority of it is private, and we're but we're open to any 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 bucket of gold on the rainbow.
1: That's great. So, Russ, I know last season there was only one company that was eligible for to, to seek seed certification in the state. Are you seeing more companies that are eligible as they've been going through trials in other states? And do you think that, you know, we're getting closer to seeing a genetically stable certified variety in the state?
2: Oh, Dr. Bolensberger is always pushing that program, and the companies would rather just get the TDA approval and run with it and see how it does. So I think, I think it'll come, but it's going to take some time. And once people see the value in the PVP program and not Ayaska, I think it'll scale up. Very good.
0: We're going to take a quick commercial break Stay right there, Russ It's the Texas Hemp Show This is podcast number 65 As our guest, Russ Jessup Talking with us about the A&M Department of Soil and Crop Sciences And their industrial hemp uh, breeding program We'll be right back after this It's the Texas Hemp Show I
5: got a pack of smokes and the whiskey's good I'd erase it all if I only could, if I only could.
4: CRI is a top 25 nationally ranked CPA firm with offices across the Southeast and with clients across the globe. Over the last few years, our firm has developed a niche in the agriculture and cannabis industry. We understand the unique challenges growers and processors face every day. Our seasoned team of professionals can help you meet these challenges with sound business, tax, financial, accounting, and technology advice. Visit CRICPA.com to find out more or schedule your free introductory consultation. That's CRICPA.com.
0: Medical marijuana is legal in Texas. Do you suffer from cancer, PTSD, IBS, peripheral neuropathy, autism, epilepsy, seizure disorders, osteoarthritis, or fibromyalgia? Well, medical marijuana is now legal in Texas as of September of 2021. Visit texasmedicalmarijuanadoctors.com. Call 713 659 himp that's 713-659-HEMP. And tell them you heard from the Texas Hemp Show. Visit our friends online at texasmedicalmarijuanadoctors.com.
5: The Texas Hemp Reporter is available free at all HEBs and Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. Pick up a copy today. Cannabis is slowly becoming legal in texas so be sure to listen to the texas hemp show sunday mornings at 6 a.m on klbj 590 a.m or visit online at texashempreporter.com mail to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in texas news technology trends finance Culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. 60,000 copies made available each year. Available at over 500 CBD and smoke shops in Texas. That's the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and the Texas Hemp Show Podcast. Download wherever podcasts are available or listen Sundays at 6 a.m. on News Radio 590 KLBJ. Hey, this is Cheech Marine, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Know.
4: Oh Why take a chance with your hemp grow? Join Hemp Plan and avoid the risk. TPS Labs' exclusive hemp monitoring program plan members get one-on-one consulting from knowledgeable consultants who are available when you need them most. If you want to take the guesswork out of growing hemp and focus on what matters most, call TPS Lab today and ask for your free consultation. Take the next step to a successful harvest. Visit TPSLab.com or call today at 956-383-0739.
6: Do you qualify for medical marijuana? Texas allows medical-grade products with THC. If you have a diagnosis of PTSD, neuropathy of any kind, including diabetic, any cancer or seizure disorder, Dr. A at Good Earth MMJ Clinic will help. You believe in cannabis' medical benefits, as do we. VA veterans with PTSD do not fear, as your benefits are protected with a Dr. A's prescription in Texas. Please visit goodearth210.com for all details and book an appointment. Next day appointments available. We're here to get you well, not high. That's goodearth210.com.
0: You're listening to The Texas Hemp Show, sponsored by The Lute. The Lute, helping vape and smoke shops deliver the most innovative products to customers, constantly creating new products that people love. E-liquid, salts, CBD topicals, tincture flower, edibles, and Delta 8. Your customers will be shouting, Give me The Lute! The Lute, creating high-margin products for vape and smoke shops. Contact us today at thelootjuice.com for all your vape, CBD, and Delta 8 needs. Mention Texas Hemp Reporter for 10% off. Give me The Lute! Give
5: me the- You're listening to The Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at The Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine.
0: Hey. This is
6: Tommy Chong and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show.
5: Now, back to the show with your host, Russell Dowd. All
0: right, welcome back to the Texas Hemp Show. I'm Russell with the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. We are working on our January issue of the Texas Hemp Reporter and uh Welcome to Back to Podcast 65. We look forward to having a new new edition out in the January month as we kind of get ready for things picking up politically uh, as candidates have made their announcements for um, their state... Uh, State candidacy, so we're kind of be monitoring that. But uh, exciting on uh, time right now here with uh, the holidays. Our guest again, Russ Jessup there with Texas A&M. Thank you, Jess, for being a part of the program. Um, as this last segment concludes, how how can folks? Uh, how how does it work though, Coleman? Maybe you guys can shed the light on this. I, I don't. How does a company, you know? You know, get the patent from what Jess is working on. How does that? How does that work, Jess? I mean, do you, um, uh, Russ? Do you guys um, uh, give that patent to who's got the biggest uh, check checkbook, or is, how does that work?
2: See, because you're dealing with with contract people and lawyers, right? A and M is full of red tape. But to get the patent, I provide the the data on the crop. I provide the DNA data to go with it. We put the put the application in uh but really before that the company and a m will negotiate they'll come to terms on material transfer on mm. how they share the intellectual property and they'll decide which party is going to pay for the the filing right uh plant variety patents about four thousand dollars it's not a lot but it takes a little time uh so really once the lawyers from both sides get done arguing and negotiating the, the technical guys like us the, the the indians on the on totem pole will just do the work but really it's uh just a time lag you get it submitted at USDA takes a while but once it's uh, approved you've got your protection
1: that's great so there's you know in our discussions we've talked about you know selective breeding and kind of a more traditional model these different inbreeding processes and then the different chemical processes applied to the to the seed and do you feel like there's a lot of, of room for novel applications and, and multiple patents to be filed or do you think this is kind of a, a land race the the first she gets there is going to be you know really kind of the primary um, market shareholder um as these different products roll out
2: oh i think there's enough room i mean the plant materials you can put a, pat, a plant variety patent on one hybrid and then 20 companies can put pvps on their hybrids so there'll be competition in that market just like there is competition on the corn soil and other hybrid crops the key is you have to meet those requirements there are specific requirements you have to meet and two of those are uniformity and stability and most cannabis i've seen from the seed side just doesn't meet that mark they're not going to be approved once we get inbred lines or once people increase the uniformity they'll get there Uh, but you made a good point there are other ways you can get patents you can get utility patents you can get design or engineer patents on some of the the ancillary technologies, or modifications, or tweaks you do to those technologies, and I think there's going to be a lot of that. Uh, Ion Labs may have things in the works as far as patenting their black box once they get uh, their their calibrations done for the for the chemotyping. So there there's all sorts of avenues. People are going to be putting things into the into the NFT world, and some of that'll have patents on them, some won't. But there's all sorts of value capture around this besides just selling seed.
1: That's great. C- tell us a little bit more about the triploid, because I know you know one of the big issues that the cannabinoid industry has had and and some of the legislation that's been you know brought up in states like Colorado have been really centered around drift of pollen and and cross seeding of of different varieties. Um, how are y'all trying to address some of those issues, and what are some of the benefits that would come from the varieties that y'all are producing?
2: Sure. This fits into my background. With forage grasses for biofuels, you don't want something that's invasive or weedy. And I've developed a a millet, a pearl millet, which is kind of like sorghum and corn. One parent has twice the chromosomes. One has the normal. You make the cross, you end up with three sets. Any individual with three sets cannot make viable seed. So it's sterile. This is the same thing you see with seedless watermelon. You buy, there's no seeds in it. or very rare. Seedless bananas, seedless grapes, anything that has three sets of chromosomes, not the normal two, is going to be uh, sterile for seed. And for CBD, that's great. If you're a seed company and you have the two parents, you make your cross, you sell the seed, they grow the seed in the field for CBD production. Every plant in that field has three sets of chromosomes. Doesn't matter how much pollen hits it from your neighbors, it's never gonna produce a seed. Uh, And we're halfway there, we'll have triploids next year. And the one company that's ahead of us is Oregon CBD. They have a couple on the market. But they're propagating it from clones, so it's more expensive. And we have a solution for that too. That will be there in a couple of years. The triploids are going to be great for CBD.
1: Yeah, I I know Oregon CBD, you know, is really you know one of the first to market. You know, true uh, cannabis seed companies, and they've been working really closely with Oregon states. Uh, Center for Excellence there. Yeah. Uh, what's y'all's relationship been like with OSU and and are y'all able to glean anything from what's happening in Oregon to what's going on here?
2: Sure, the only reason I'm in the hemp with m is I almost took a job in Oregon two and a half years ago, so Oregon is leading the way. Uh, I've written a couple of grants that were not funded with Ryan Contreras there with Oregon State. Uh, but yeah, they're they they're ahead on the breeding side as far as I can tell on hemp. Their triploids, they have, again, the parents are not inbred lines. So when they make their cross, they're gonna have populations that do this. So their solution is to take your favorite triploid and propagate it clonally. So it's a much more expensive crop. We're gonna make the inbred lines. Once we have that, we're gonna double the chromosomes on one. So they're gonna be totally uniform. And we're gonna end up with 100% uniform triploid from seed in a couple of years.
0: Now, um, Russ, uh, can you tell us where you're going to be at in the coming early next year? What kind of uh, activities do you have like on the road? We ran into you there at the Texas Hemp Convention a few months ago, um, a month ago. Uh, where do you see yourself going in the next coming year? Where, uh, where can folks uh, see you guys on out, out in the public and, and check out your work?
2: Sure. I consider my field lab public. So if you all are driving through college station, email me, comment. You are welcome to come look at the facility. So anyone that's in town, stop by for next year. I know there's a, for my own education, there's a hash three day work course out in California, albeit, uh, and then they've got the big one in Colorado. Noco uh, should be it. But I guess for me, I'm trying to focus on two or three shows, on cannabis that are not in texas and then only a couple that are in texas my students can go to others but for me uh, i focus on the big ones yeah next year
0: yeah you'll be you'll probably be at that one in denver at noco i know that uh, yeah. that's the big one that, that we all go to um well um anything else coleman or jesse uh, i wanna, i want to i want to thank you russ jessup for being on the program this is very informative um and i guess uh just fire off a website email how can folks get in touch and learn more about your program uh, it's very exciting and cutting edge
2: rjessup at tamu.edu and if you get your january issue of his magazine Texas Importer, you should have information in there. That's the best place to track us down.
0: That, that's really cool. And, and, and just so the listeners know, and, and my co-host here, uh, you know, I, I know that you're working on an article for us for that January issue. And, and, and you know, Russ, anytime you want to write something or contribute anything to the, to the paper and the magazine, we would love to, to entertain that, and, and, and you're always welcome there.
2: Awesome. I'm happy to write something technical and boring or something punny and, and himpy, whichever.
0: <laughs> hey, so when are you going to see Dan again next? I know that kind of starts getting, that relationship develops a little more with that Jack Harris strain next year, you said, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I saw him last weekend out at the, the Emerald Cup, and I'm hoping we'll see him again to get seed for next year's trials, and we're going to start him even earlier in South Texas, so uh, a lot of that's up to our industry sponsor. They have the best relations. They, they pull that cord and, and bring him out, so Whenever they want to bring him out again, he'll come out. Or when he wants to teach another class for us, he can come out. But nothing, nothing's set as of now.
1: Well, very cool. Anything else, guys? No, I think that's all I, that's all I've got. I'm really excited about the work that, that y'all are doing, really interested to, to follow y'all's progress. And, you know, I, I hope that a lot of good comes out of this for the cannabinoid market. And, and I think we will probably see a lot of things that will be applied to grain and fiber as well. So I appreciate your work very much.
2: Awesome.
1: Thank you. All right. Thank you, thank you,
0: Jessup, uh, uh, Russ. We appreciate it, man. We'll see you next time.
2: All right. right. You guys take care.
0: You bet. Thank you. Take care. All right. All right. There he goes. Uh, That is uh, Dr. Russell Jessup with the Texas A&M Department of Soil and Crop Sciences, and and his department there is the Industrial Hemp Breeding. So it's either him on the hemp side, and then you got Calvin Trussell uh, with the work that he does, and he was on the program some time back. Um, we had uh, Calvin on. so And what's the guy in South Texas, Coleman? Uh, we should get him on the show.
1: Yeah, uh, Georgie, who's there at their Westlaco location, uh-huh. is doing a, a lot of seed breeding as well that he had mentioned in that. And, you know, all of this discussion around hemp seed varieties really brings us back to one of the big advocacy issues that still exists with the hemp industry, which really centers around the USDA's rule that defined total THC and the limitations around producing plants that are 0.3% or less total THC. So THCA and Delta 9 added together. I, I know that that's been one of the, the biggest issues that sea breeders have had and, and have really constrained them a bit. And so, you know, just want to take this opportunity to, to point people to Agricultural Hemp Solutions. Courtney Moran, who's with mm-hmm. the Oregon Hemp Farmers Association and also sits on the National Hemp Association Standing Committee of Hemp Organizations. Uh, she's been very active in, in Washington, D.C., and, and is really kind of chairing a lot of these efforts for us at the national level. And And what that really aims to do is to set the limit to 1% THC, total THC, um, for plants that are in cultivation. So this really shouldn't relate to, to finished products entirely but really protecting the farmers there and then also really advocating for exemptions for potency testing for grain and fiber where that finished end product would not be a consumable product would not be a vapable product wouldn't be a product that that could be on your skin and and really fiber and grain have very little cannabinoids total um you know arguably in our texas statute there are remediation clauses where you can retest hot crops um, and, and show that your final end product is compliant or that it can be processed into fiber. I know that there's been some questions that the Texas Department of Agriculture has brought up in, in complying with that law. Um, but from a statutory standpoint, you know what the law says right now, I think Texas is probably in a very advantageous position to advance um i mean really go after grain and fiber you know i, I would yeah. really love to see more of that um, move forward um you know other you know things just to, to kind of hit on at the national level um, we are still very much advocating for um, more research dollars from the fda and USDA that would support hemp's use as a commercial animal feed um, you know, I know I spent a lot of time talking about grain, yeah. Yeah. but there are truly opportunities to, to grow millions of acres of, of hemp if those markets are opened up. Um, that's really, I think, you know, from a, a growing standpoint, you're using the same equipment to put it in the ground, same equipment to harvest it. And we are seeing some success in, in companies like IND Hemp um, that... We're very active in getting the the laws and rules changed in in Montana, and are pushing for animal feed. Um, have had a lot of success, so um, hopefully they can be kind of the the torchbearer, and we can see this um, move across the country and and get more clarity as Texas goes into to session in twenty
0: twenty three. Well, let's talk about um, you know we've got the. Smokable hemp ban thing it came back uh, into the conversation recently with uh, the state appealing. Um, but I wanted to just throw out some political things. Like if uh, you guys want to chat or talk, we got a couple of minutes here, or less than four minutes. But um, any political candidates coming to mind as we, we were talking before the show got going today? And, and there's some new... Uh, new hats, uh, names in the hats being thrown into the hat for Lieutenant Governor, as well as um, Department of Ag. Um, Sunday, Susan threw her name in the hat on the Democratic side. Uh, so, Jesse, any anything? Uh, you she, had a couple. She, she, she threw her, in, her name in the hat
3: at some point last week. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing is that there will be no more new names in the hat because the filing deadline has passed. That's right. So That was the-,
0: the 13th, <laughs> or Monday,
3: I believe. So whoever is, their name is set up for that, that is done. If you want to see a complete list, because I don't know every one of them, the Secretary of State website is the best place to find out who has filed for what positions.
1: Yeah, you know, I know Sid Miller is is running for reelection. He's been on the show a number of times. Um, also, James White, who's a, a state representative, um, and has always been a really great advocate for hemp. <laughs> Cannabis um, overall, and, and cannabis overall um, has a really interesting and and good relationship with law enforcement, and I think has been you know really a unique voice in in promoting this. Um, and then Russ, uh, another gentleman, um, also filed um, out of Brenham.
0: Yeah, that was. Uh, I got. I'm sorry. I apologize.
1: I <laughs> got. I should
0: have his name here, but uh, I know it is uh, Kerry Council is a Republican candidate for uh, Ag Commissioner out of the um, uh, Brenham area. That he's uh, thrown his name in. Business owner, and I talked to him the other day. I know he uses CBD and was. Uh, he was a really interesting guy. I think we're gonna get him on the show. Also, you know, there's several types of different candidates that. I think the show will probably get several kinds of candidates as we move into the January and February months, guys. It makes sense for us to kind of probe and see what these uh, these new candidates uh, uh, on the ballot uh, this spring are. You know, where their where they're li- their their th- their thoughts lie on politically and and uh, these uh, issues with cannabis and hemp. Uh, so um, I think we'll we'll be you know addressing some of these guys uh, in the coming weeks.
1: Yeah, we were kind of talking before the show about maybe doing kind of like a celebrity squares kind of thing. Yeah, I know? wonder like, what to
0: cover. We should we were we were playing around with different cover ideas. Let's do like the Rubik's cube or the magic eight ball of uh, candidates for lieutenant governor or for Ag, uh, for AG. Um, but I'm very very excited to try to play around with
1: those ideas. Um, well, yeah. I would definitely love comments. You know, um, you know, for any yeah. the, for any of the candidates that are listening to the Texas Hemp Show, <laughs> uh, you know, I I think you know our goal with the publication and the show is just always to be a a, a voice of of the news. You yeah. know, To be able to provide different perspectives, um, it'd be really interesting to see. You know, somewhat of a forum, maybe a little bit of a debate amongst the different candidates on this issue. Yeah, I don't see
0: why we couldn't sponsor a debate that just asks for a couple of the candidates to to come on the show and have a, a healthy conversation. Even if it's just, uh, you know, with our software on the video side, they could come in here if they want. But uh, I would encourage something like that to happen.
1: Maybe, maybe a little fastball, you know, we'll just get them all up on the screen <laughs> and talk at each other at the same time. You know,
2: it can...
0: Yeah, sometimes you just turn that thing loose and then just watch what happens. Uh, so that might be uh, something fun to, to, to see as well. And I was mentioning,
3: um, I now know of a cannabis-friendly lieutenant governor candidate. Oh, tell uh, us. Uh, Zach Vance. And he's still getting his stuff set up, but right now, so if you want to find out more about him and reach out to him, the number four, A Better Texas on Instagram he is fully about wanting to open the medical program for texas as, as a republican lieutenant governor
1: yeah big year coming into 2022 everyone is up for re-election all state officials are governor lieutenant governor attorney general all state representatives all state senators this is gonna be a big big year um, I'm sure everything will really start getting heated up as we approach the March primaries. That's right. And um, you know, as always, tune in to the Texas Hemp Show. We'll be bringing you all the information live. and um, always enjoy having you all with us.
0: Yeah, thank you uh, to the listeners and everybody for tuning in and and, uh, yeah, it's gonna be exciting. It's important, like we've we've talked about this last uh, fall. It's just important to get out there and, and make your make your vote count guys because uh, there's a new new group of uh, classmates coming into the uh, fold here this spring and uh, it's your chance to, to vote and and, uh, and get new faces in there and let's learn about some of these guys in the coming months so uh, thanks for tuning in to podcast 65 Thank you Coleman Thank you Jesse for being a part of the program this week and uh, good show guy. Guys, and uh, and again, thank you to Russell Jessup with uh, our guest this week on the Texas Hemp Show. Podcast 65, signing off. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. Grow Hemp, Grow
1: Texas. Well,
5: it's like a rock storm. It overtakes the soul. You know it won't be long till you lose all.